0: Welcome to the Digital Workplace Podcast. These are conversations with CEOs of digital companies, thought leaders, and solution providers about how you can become a level five digital workplace. For the show notes and transcript of this episode, go to thedigitalworkplace.com. Welcome back to the Digital Workplace Podcast. Today, our guest is Jeremy Scribbins. He is the director of the emotional economy at work and an appreciative futurist. Hey, Jeremy, how's it going?
1: Good, Neil, I'm very well, thank you.
0: Yeah, it's it's great to have you on. You were a part of our tweet-a-thon that happened back in October, and just great to connect with you and all the insights you brought for that. But I want to start off with this term, appreciative futurist. What does that mean?
1: Well, it's a friend of mine um, actually dubbed dub, dub that term uh, three or four years ago. He said, here comes the appreciative futurist. Hmm. <laughs> um, but What it means in a nutshell, appreciative. I mean, I'm a, I, I switched to a strengths-based view of, of work and life and Organizational development and growth and innovation about 12, 14 years ago are based on the work of David Cooper a priest of inquiry, or in America I should say inquiry, <laughs> um, and uh, which is the idea of bringing the whole system in the room to, uh, to to reimagine the future from the wholeness of things, not the parts of things, which is the way we've organized work for three hundred years. and And, and, and futurism means an, an optimistic view of the future, but. Not uh, optimistic because oh, it's nice to be optimistic, but because of the conversation shift from focusing on what's what's broken to look to discovering what works. So, 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 we're tapping into an abundance concept there. And then when we do that, we can we can actually start to reimagine the future where there is an abundance and for all. So, an appreciating futurist. Yeah, I, I I thought that was a nice term. I thought I'd adopt it, but uh, it's a, it's a focus on the future. It's an appreciation of the best of the present, the best of the past, and then reconfiguring that to create an imagined future together.
0: Well, you definitely touched on one of my favorite words, which is abundance and an abundance mindset, which I feel like the more I learn about it, the more I wish we could shift to that and, and try to realize that we, we do have enough. There is enough to go around of many resources we have. I don't know how, how longer that will be true, but where do you see this abundance mindset? How do we build that more into our organizations today?
1: Well, I think... Um, the key word you use there is mindset, and I think a lot of the the the, the work. Um, if you take the new technologies, for example, which are, have a significant impact, don't they, and potential impact for either good or for bad, um, I call that the first stream or second stream use of the tech. Um, and I've come to understand that that um, um, that that it was Charles Swab. Klaus Swob, sorry, the chairman of the World Economic Forum, who said uh, a couple of years back that the new technology is of such significance that um, um, it, we can no we, no we can no longer be agnostic in terms of how we use the technology. Mm. We'll either use the technology to, to to see people at the at the uh, uh, um, as dispensable, for example, automation for its own sake, or we'll use the technology. In order to, um, to to augment every human being and and to serve humanity, which is what i 've been writing about and, and and looking to get the stories up around that so so, so that means it 's a decision about how we value things not doesn 't start with the tech so a term that's so i 've been looking at tech over the last few years i 'm not a technologist. For some reason, I'm, all, I'm on all these top 20, 30 lists or whatever around technology, which I scratch my head because I don't know anything about technology, <laughs> honestly. If you ask my 70-year-old granddaughter, she'll say, what are you doing on that list? Serious? <laughs> because um, she can sort of run rings around with an iPhone. But I think that the thing I'm coming to understand, Neil, is this, that for the technology has been in the hands of the few for a long time. So, so and the focus has been the organisation. You know, when I started work back in 1978, you know, I didn't exist f- from a technology perspective until I was given a job title, right? So work was defined in the narrow context of a job a- and, and, and the hierarchy of classification of jobs. And I didn't exist in an organisational sense or technology sense until I was given an employee number in the big Oracle or Oracle payroll system or, or what have you. Or SAS system, technology was owned by the companies, and it was taking a part of Neil and a part of jeremy and and and, and that was what we defined that as being and so, and so that was the deficit view um, and, uh, but the, the the abundance view says everyone should own the technology and I asked one of my Silicon Valley mates last year i said what 's the ultimate potential of the new tech. He said, Jeremy, the ultimate technology of the new tech is to put the technology in the hands of every individual on the planet, right? Which was a lovely response. And I call that hashtag me. And then and then to go further, to bring people together around a shared cause that they care about, hashtag me, we. Now what that means is a shift in mindset from this view that technology information is owned by the few, you've got firewalls, you know, and, and so, so my question is, do you spend more time I'm talking to leaders now. Do you spend more time on that which you wish to avoid or that which you wish to accomplish? Because if you wish to accomplish more at scale, do more good at scale, then you've got to put the tech in the hands of each of your people. And you've got to create ways in which they can own that. But also then see the the, the new forms of working as a life work continuum, hashtag life work. So we move beyond the idea of joining a company as work to becoming part of a global community of life work. And I think those are the areas that I'm interested in now. The, the shift towards the ownership of the, indi- of the technologies by the individuals and the, and the ability to reimagine work, which allows those people to create their, 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 their stories um, of contribution in that space. So it's a conversation with leaders around, what do you care about and what's your life legacy and how are you going to reach the legacies of others? Then the technology comes second. If we start with the technology first, what happens is we shift to the existing mindsets, hmm. which are also around parts of things, not convergence. And so there's a potential, so it's, it, it, is a, it is a mindset shift.
0: Yeah, we have to start with the mindset and then figure out how to use the technology and related to that. Well, speaking of that, a lot of the questions that I'm going to ask you, I think, would be in terms of, we think of employee retention. But I want to take some time to redefine that word because for the most part, when we think of retention, we think, man, I hope all these people don't leave because it's a pain to find new people. So that's like what retention is thought of. Like, I don't, I don't want to have to find other things, but how is that an outdated view? How can we update that view of what it means to retain people in an no organization?
1: Well, the word retention reminds me, rhymes with detention, doesn't it? Yeah. There's a sense of, <laughs> um, you see, it is, it is an old view. It's also, again, a deficit view. You know, it's the, the view that, 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 that people own people, organizations own people and you invest in people only for your own benefit. So if they go away and start their own practice or they shift somewhere else, then you've lost them. But not if you're in a community of the new communities of, of, of life work. That doesn't apply because you can release people, you can steward people. So do, so my question would be, do you steward people for your own gain or do you steward, steward people for humanity? Because if you steward people for humanity, it will come back to you. What well, it will come back to you. People will come back to you. But going back to the idea of appreciative futurist, there's a good example of, of the shift in the questions. So one of the things I do when I work with organisations and leaders is to is to walk them through a, a, a over a bridge of switching the conversation from uh, seeing seeing things as a problem to 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 an appreciative view. And what I mean by that is that we've had 300 years of of management thinking and practice, which which is the language of problem solving, deficit. Uh, uh my people are leaving so a classic example hr so my background is human resource management so when I, I was taught exit interviews right so so when someone's leaving you go to um um to that person you say tell me the reasons why you are leaving you learn nothing <laughs> about why they're staying you learn nothing about what it is that leads to to the most exceptional experiences of flow in their lives. So rather than ask people why they're leaving, go to your best people, in fact, go to anyone and say, what has been the most extraordinary experience you've had in working here? Hmm. What was the one time that you were working here when you felt most alive, that you felt that your contribution mattered, that you went home knowing that the job you were doing was the right job and you were in the right place with the right people. And for once in your life, you knew you were doing something that really mattered to somebody else. Now that's a completely different question.
0: Yeah, I saw the article you posted on LinkedIn recently about the airline that you experienced this with and the story that they shared about how they took care of all those guests that were coming in. It was just fascinating to look at this airline that seemed to be struggling on so many aspects, but then to really start to appreciate what was good.
1: That was the, the article um, the day I stopped looking for, uh, looking for the dirt. Instead, found found the diamond in the dirt. Right. And, um, that was a very powerful experience. That was 10 years ago, and I don't know why I haven't written that article before. I've kept meaning to write it, but just sat down one day and wrote it. But it was a very powerful shift. I think the article's really about me, to be honest, um, about my own journey shifting from going there as the expert you know, sure. to, to solve problems, you know, cultural diagnostics, again the language, cultural diagnostics, diagnostic means to look at what's diseased for heaven's sake. We used to, I used to do things like Lean and Six Sigma, you know, no disrespect there, but my goodness, we used to use language like we used to, we used to break break processes down using words like decompose. So, so if you listen to some of the language, we talk about decomposing processes. I mean, what on earth have we done? <laughs> <laughs> you learn nothing about life from studying death
0: well, let's talk about life and uh, life work is a topic you've mentioned a few times now. So, explain to us what that term means and how it's being applied in businesses today.
1: So, for example, um, the young, the young people coming into the workforce now. As I get older, everyone seems younger. <laughs> so they, yeah, they'll come to a point when that will happen, mate. But um, um, so when I was when I joined work, sorry, when I joined an organisation I, I got my job description, my job title, and my employee number when I walked through the gates into the office, into the, into the factory or into the, into the office building, I had to switch off my life. I had to start and focus on the job. We separated things. Um, and today the young kids don't make that distinction. Um, So I've been privileged to to be working on a couple of experiments, which have moved beyond experiments now with what what I call the social room, which is the idea of how organisations who are taking what I call a second stream approach to the future of work, one which augments people, are now recognising that the young people who've been wired on their iPhones and their smartphones for some years now are deeply concerned about causes that they care about. The young, the young ones are concerned about how the planet is going to be, uh, what, fit shape it's, what shape it's going to be in, in 20 years' time. My generation has, has not stewarded that well. Um, but, and we've been taught to switch, those, switch these things off and, and compartmentalise them now. The young kids walking through the streets of Bendigo, of, of Bendigo in Australia or Birmingham, Alabama or Birmingham, UK, seeing the homeless on the streets... Starting to think about how can I go to work um, and just do a work, do a job and not, not, not be concerned about this. So, 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 so they are now interested in so what we call social good. We're moving beyond the idea of, social, of corporate social responsibility, which is the top-down hierarchical, well-intentioned, but program-based approach to, 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 to the idea of organisations moving into a responsibility in place in community. To the idea where individuals care about social good causes, and so, um, so, 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 so you know, as, and we know this that the, the, the young people will ask questions like, you know, supply chain questions. You know, where do you get your coffee from? What conditions uh, exist for the, the the laborers and the workers who are making, who are growing the coffee? Um, uh, you know, in in the coffee plantations. Um, but they don't just want to know what those conditions are they want to connect with these people from the heart and do life work together they want to do course together they don't make the distinctions about job titles or the distinctions between life and work so to give you an example this idea of a social room which came to me um uh from the what i call the mushroom farm story a few years ago when i was so i talk about about most of my consulting work, my 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 work with organizations is to is to coach and to facilitate large scale positive change and to shift the conversation from continuous improvement to innovation and to release abundance uh, by 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 tapping into all the strengths and talents that, that we've just let allow dormant to lie uh, in, in the ground. You know. You'd be familiar, Neil, with the uh, statistics around employee engagement, you know, which have been um, very low. Gallup came up with this idea that only about 15 percent of the world's workforce was engaged 20 years ago. To be quite frank, those figures have not changed a great deal. So despite all the surveys and all the stuff that we've tried to do, they've not really changed a lot, simply because the mindset uh, has been that only a few create the future. But in in, 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 in the today's world, the young kids have got this talent to be able to reimagine the future. So let's engage them. So a few years ago, I was working with a mushroom farm where of all, all places, with only a small number of employees, 60 people, but they were looking to, uh, the CEO there was was being hit very hard by the supermarkets who were driving his his, his price down to a level that was not sustainable. And, and he heard about a priest inquiry. So he said, Jeremy, let's get my 60 people into a room on a Saturday morning um, which I think is a great idea. They've never done it in that sort of industry before. And I was due to talk with him about, um, on the week before, about setting up what we call the affirmative topic for, for, for the conversation. So the affirmative topic is critical. Not a problem, but an affirmative topic, which is a topic that that, that, that is an imaginative view of the future, which is open enough to allow others to come in and co-create it. And he got on the phone and was very agitated because... The supermarkets had dropped his, his mushroom price down from $28 a kilo to $16 a kilo within 24 hours, and he couldn't survive. And they do that here, they just seen price balls. Um, because it's not a system based on on partnership. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a deficit-based system. Oh well, we'll get rid of this 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 if these growers don't 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 um, don't, don't like it, they can go somewhere else and we'll hire someone else. That's how they think. Um, so I I, I I managed, I going into a long story, I managed to, to, to persuade him to shift shift the focus because he said, Jeremy, I want to spend the whole day with my team, taking getting their ideas to take out cost, deficit view. You learn nothing about growth by taking out cost. And and, and, and so I said to him, Why don't you? I said, mate, let me ask you a question. It's 25 years from now. You've you got your grandchild on your knees. She's beautiful. And she looks up to you and says, Papa, and she won't use these words. But in, in, in her own language, she'll say, you did something amazing with your life. You left a legacy, didn't you, Papa? And you smiled down and said, yes, darling, I did. She says, what was that legacy you left, Papa? And you turned around and you said to her, darling, I spent my whole life taking out cost. Is that your legacy? And, I, and he sort of, he sort of, I said, don't shoot the messenger. And I said, let me ask you, what was, what's your one dream you've had about your business? What, maybe you sat down with your wife or partner and maybe you thought, what if we could do this? And he came out and he said, uh, we, we're concerned about the levels of obesity in our kids in Australia. <laughs> and and, and, and um, if only we could do something about If only uh, the kids in Australia ate mushrooms and good food and, and healthy food, yeah, I would love to see that. And what have we got into the schools somehow? And we were happy with the kids. And they were – so within three days, I coached him to stand up in front of him, see people in the morning and share that story. Talked about costs, but said, so looked at me, they went back to the story. He said, will you create the future with me? Where somehow we got into the schools. We've created a new market, but we're doing something really powerful. He said, who cares about kids? Every single person put their hand up. So you've got to, you've got to shift the topic back to everybody. So everybody owns the topic. That's where you start, right? And it comes from the heart. So in a nutshell, they, 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 they went through the Christian inquire, uh, conversations and they presented this, this, this way in which they were working in the future. So one group of six of them got together there was the scientific officer. There was the um, one supervisor. Two young Thai women who were going to university, but not able to use their their iPhones because they were told to switch them off and put them in the cupboards. And two young Af- African Somali refugees who just escaped with their lives from Somalia and were working at, with their hands. And they came together as an equal group of people, and they presented. And the financial manager was there, and they presented the design prototype of the future. Here's what they said. Um, scientific officer. We have gone into the schools with the world's first coloured mushroom growing kits for kids. And someone yelled out, "Is that possible?" He said, "I've always wanted to do it." And we're in there. And then the African, one of the African African guys goes, "And we are collaborating with Master Chef, who's gone into the schools with us with with customised um, uh, menus for the kids to use." And the two girls, one of the the two girls couldn't contain herself anymore. She raced out of of the room, into a locker, got her iPhone, came back and said, and we have mobile app and we have social community. And I thought, ah, social room. Mm -hmm. And that then gave me the vision for going to organizations and saying, what if we were to create a social movement division of your business? (laughs) What if, what if each, what if in parts, part of the part of the work, the work to reimagine the future, you were able to bring uh, your social good? So each, each person was 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 encouraged to share their social good stories on social media and to become what I call social natives. And so we're doing this marvelous experiment with Ultimate Software, Ultimate, uh, Kr- Ultimate, sorry, Ultimate Kronos Group now converged in America, one of Australia's large, uh, Australia, America's largest HR tech companies. Um, has, have been building a social room now for 14, 15 months where where they are engaging a global conversation around the things that that, 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 that people care about and encouraging them to to uh, to open up and be authentic in the way in which they see life and work. Very powerful experience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love that example. And just to be able to pull those things out. Jeremy, as we nearing to close here, I just want to ask you one question. You, you mentioned a lot about young people. It's going to be a passion for you to listen to them. How is it that you, you maintain a connection with other generations? It's, it's easy just to kind of hold up with people who are like you and people who you talk to a lot. But what do you find in your life as a powerful way to maintain connections across generations and, and know what people are thinking?
1: So, so we're part of a social movement in my own town. Um, I talk about the social room. Um, so you know, there's been a lot of stuff about Facebook recently. Um, but technology is neither good or bad. It's what you do with it that matters. And it does and in a free world, then there's a responsibility to make those make those calls, are we negative or positive? So in our own town in Wall for example, um, we, we started, a group of us started up a social movement four years ago called Love and Action, which uh, we, we saw the homeless issues, we saw domestic violence issues, drug issues and problems. And so now in a town of about 8,000, 4,500 people are, are actively involved in looking after each other to give an idea of the actual, um, uh, I believe, the Facebook Stats for um, for activity, you know, they they look they look at monthly uh, active users, and if you've got about sixty or seventy percent active users a month, you're going pretty well. Last month, ours was eighty six point one percent, and and in there, there are 80 year olds, sixty year olds, 40 year olds, and we have a youth love in action team now, which is consisting of fifteen or sixteen year olds. Who are, uh, are, are collaborating to, to to connect with the young kids um, and and um, and to uh, to support each other? Mental health issues, befriending big sis, big brother, um, but also starting social enterprises. Uh, we're collaborating with others to form social enterprises. The town that is often prized poor has somehow found one point five million dollars worth of food passed through the community from hand to hand in the last two years and that's an example of a social room or social experiment so and and to ask, and i think one of the questions that, that that there's similar to this to finish up would be there is no difference between any of the generations the difference is that the new gener- that the younger generations have access to the tools that, that we didn't have the my generation didn't have um, Right through history, there've been people who wanted to lead and uh, causes to, to put, make the world a better place. Right, like William Wilberforce. He didn't. What if we, What if imagine a young William Wilberforce today, with a vision for ending slavery? Imagine what he could do with the tools we have at, at, at our disposal. Actually, um, uh, uh, we have now.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. But Jeremy, it's been fun to just listen to these stories, to be encouraged by what's happening in, in other parts of the world and what's going on. If people want to hear more of this kind of stuff, where should they go to keep in touch with you and the work you do?
1: Uh look, I'd love to love to have a conversation. Uh my LinkedIn profile um is a great way to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, and also my Twitter, Twitter 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 handle. Um and uh love to have a conversation. Um and love to um uh, I want to see more stories, more stories of what we just talked about, more mushroom farm stories.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, more, more, more people engaged. We need collaboration now more than we need competition. And our, our, ironically, if we collaborate as an ecosystem, we'll actually have, more, we'll have more, more to go around to look after each other, not less. Yeah,
0: get back that abundance mindset, right? Absolutely. Well, great. Thanks for being on the show. We look forward to staying in touch. Cheers.
1: Thanks, Neil. All the best.
0: This has been the Digital Workplace Podcast. If you liked it, please take a minute to leave a review wherever you it. Go to thedigitalworkplace.com and sign up for our twice-a-month newsletter. It keeps you up to date on the best ways to build a Level 5 Digital Workplace. Music for the show is provided by City of Sound. I'm your host, Neil Miller. Keep moving forward.